Hi, everyone. Welcome to Counting on Capital. In previous parts of the show, we've explored different perspectives on private equity. In the academic perspective, we talk to professors. In the portfolio perspective, we talk to founders and CEOs of portfolio companies. Today, we're launching a new segment, the industry perspective. This segment is dedicated to talking to private equity professionals themselves about their experiences and viewpoints on the role that private equity plays in our economy. Today, we're talking to Steve Klinsky, CEO and founder of New Mountain Capital. Steve reflects on his career, and we talk about his journey from his very first private equity job to founding New Mountain Capital. As always, I'm your host, Shruti Rao, and this is Counting on Capital. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time. Before we dive into the private capital side of things, I'd like to take a moment and talk a little about your background. You grew up in a Detroit suburb in the late 60s. What was that like? When did you first get interested in or exposed to business? Yeah, I grew up in a town called Southfield, Michigan, which is uh, just north of Detroit. Uh, And um, my family had a business for many years. My grandfather and grandmother had a store that sold women's clothes called Albert's because my grandfather was Albert. The first big shopping mall in the country, or one of the very first, was in Southfield called Northland Center. And my family took a risk of trying to put a store there when we only had one store to open a second store in Northland Center. My dad managed the store. We moved to be near the shopping mall. And Southfield was just like a farm community being turned into suburbs as I was growing up. So it was all through the 60s and kind of an idyllic place where... uh, the shopping mall was the center of town, and, uh, and, and uh, that's what we did. After you graduated from Harvard Business School, you joined Goldman, and you co-founded the Leverage Buyout Group there. This was back in the early 80s, when private equity was pretty different than it is today. What opportunity did you and Goldman see, and what was it like doing LBO deals at that time? Yeah, well, it was exceptionally early days. So the, I was a law student and a business student, and I had to write a thesis on something, a JD MBA thesis. The first leverage buyout of a public company ever was while I was in graduate school. Kay Kara bought a company called Hudai Industries, and it was, you know, to buy a publicly traded company as a buyout was an amazing thing. So I wrote my thesis about it. I came, I may have been the first person to leave graduate school wanting to be a private equity guy or a buyout guy. I went to Goldman in their merger department. I said, I want to be your buyout guy. They said, well, we've never done a leverage buyout here, so you can be the buyout guy. It was like being the wheat farmer on the moon. There was no competition to get into the field. And, uh, you know, it was the very early days when the whole field exploded. We did end up doing $3 billion of transactions when I was, you know, at Goldman Sachs, uh, uh, but in just a few years. So things were just starting to explode back then. So, But no one knew it was going to get as big as it got. I was fascinated in it because... Uh, of the idea of actually owning a business and my family had sold their family business in the back of my head. I thought maybe I'd buy a little business with my dad again someday and would use leverage bios to start the next family business. And that's what got me into it. In 1999, you broke off and founded New Mountain Capital. Now you spent the eighties and nineties working for big LBO focused private equity firms. What drove you to found New Mountain and to create your own shop? Yeah. I, I had a great career track at Goldman from 81 to 84, helping to start you know, in their merger group and then helping to start their private equity group. Then I was with a firm called Forsman Little from 84 to 99, which was the second biggest firm in the world after KKR. 
but had only eight people at it. There were the three founders, another guy and myself when it started, and then uh, a couple people left, a couple people joined after me. So effectively, I was the senior guy outside the Forsman family in their best years. And we had exceptional financial success. We had higher returns than the bigger firm. But, uh, you know, it really wasn't my firm. It was Ted Forsman's firm. And, and the idea of having my own firm um, and be able to do things my own way just made more and more sense over time. So I broke off and uh, we started New Mountain officially January of 2000. Let's talk a little about New Mountain. New Mountain's private equity strategy is really focused on acquiring high-quality leaders in the defensive growth industries and then helping to really build those businesses. How do you think you kind of arrived at this strategy? And given your background in doing leveraged buyout deals, how did you evolve to focus on building businesses and really a more growth-driven strategy? Yeah, it was really uh, an evolution and learnings over the 20 years of the 80s and the 90s that I was with Goldman Sachs and Forsman Little. And, uh, you know, I had been through the 1987 uh, crash, the crash of Drexel Burnham, other crashes in the 90s. What what we learned, and this was a learning of Forsman Little that I continued and kind of expanded on, you know, what we realized at the end of the 80s at Forsman Little was that when you own the, you know, the number four elastomers maker and the recession hits, all the market share goes to the one and two guys. You're just in a terrible business. There's no real way to help it. And so at Forrest Little, we started to shift into higher quality companies and higher quality industries. Like I spent nine years with General Instrument leading where we led the whole cable television revolution and broadband revolution. And so to be in good growth industries that will do well even in a recession just made common sense. I don't want to kill businesses. I want to build businesses. I come from a family business background, so I don't view companies as poker hands where you win one and you fold the other. We, you know, At New Mountain, we've never had a bankruptcy, never missed an interest payment in our history. And if you have a good, solid industry to build in, the question is how big you can build it, and, and that's what we focus on, how high is up and how to build a New Mountain in the industry where we invest. So it's kind of common sense, and it, it fits good social policy with good economic results, and it's a lot more satisfying way to live your life than to bankrupt companies, you know, uh, frequently. So we've never bankrupted one and we built a lot of them. You've spoken previously about private equity as a force to build businesses and add value. Can you speak more to that? How can private equity be used to create jobs and foster more innovation? Yeah, I really do think private equity properly executed is, it should really be thought of as repetitive business building. You have merit-based teams of managers, uh, owners in every form who can go to a good Main Street company, add capital, energy, and management skill to build the business. So, uh, you know, it's, and that's what we do. Sometimes we use debt when we acquire, sometimes we use no debt at all, but we team up with the management and we're exceptionally hands-on and giving them strategies and ways to grow that they just never had. So, you know, we can talk about some specific examples, but it's... Uh, in total, we've added or created over 46,000 jobs at our companies while we've owned them, net of any job losses, $5 billion of R&D and CapEx and software investment, no bankruptcy ever, $37 billion of gains created for shareholders. So, you know, you take a good basic business and build it. That's what we do. As private equity has been discussed more and more in public discourse, there's the sentiment that private equity is really more about financial engineering than any actual value creation. What's your perspective? How do you think private equity firms that don't make growth or low leverage a core part of their strategy also ensure value creation? 
Yeah, I think what's happening is I really think the industry's evolved tremendously in the 40 years that I've been with it. So, look, in 1981, when you had high inflation and very high interest rates and the stock market was going to begin a 40-year rise and, you know, it really was a few people in a room borrowing a lot of money and saying risk creates return. And that kind of was the buyout model of 1981 with all the macro factors behind it. What's happening, and again, a firm like Forrest & Little that was the second biggest firm in the world, you know, had, had about, again, eight people in it and, and less than that actually working on the transactions. My own firm has over 160 people at headquarters and, you know, uh, 13 transaction leaders, over 20 operating partners, former corporate CEOs, former heads of strategy, all working with the next little company that we buy. So, you know, putting the financial structures aside, uh, we're, you know, there's firms even larger than ours and, and there, you know, you can be very operational in private equity now. And uh, that's what it's about, not just borrowing money. So we were just talking about this, but private equity is not the same small world that it once was in the early 80s. And with the explosion of the industry has also come a huge increase in the number of firms. How do you think New Mountain continues to differentiate itself? And how do you continue to remain disciplined investors as competition over assets rise and multiples have skyrocketed? Well, I'm also the chairman of the American Investment Council, which represents the whole private equity industry. And when I started in 1981, I'm told there were 20 private equity firms. And today I'm told there are 5,000 private equity firms owning 30,000 companies. And, you know, we're a pretty big piece of USGNP now. But that being said, uh, every private equity firm is different and apart from every other private equity firm. You know, it's a form of governance. We, we have been empowered with money from our limited partners and from our own funds to go out and build and, you know, buy and build a company. And other than that, it's within us, you know, our purview, what industry, how to do it. And the same way there are thousands of companies in the world and they can all do well. And one, you know, uh, there's thousands of private equity firms. And so, or thousands of restaurants, one restaurant food doesn't taste like the next, next restaurant food. It depends how you do it. And and so it's a, it's a business. We say private equity is a form of business, not a form of finance. And, uh, you know, what's happened with New Mountain is uh, things have actually gotten better and better as the years have gone on because our teams are much deeper, much more knowledgeable about specific industries, more resources to draw on to do the next transaction of the same size. So life gets a lot easier for us as time goes on. In a previous segment of the show, we talked with CEOs of portfolio companies. One of the major themes in that discussion was a focus on working with private equity firms that are really true partners versus just owners. How do you get potential portfolio companies, especially in the middle market segment, to get excited about working with New Mountain? Well, you know, you get excited by being able to prove that you can add value to them. So, I mean, let me give you a couple of real world stories and how it all ties together. So, you know, we own a company called Avantor that started at $290 million of value and today is worth over $15 billion of value. And it went from being a, a discontinued operation of a parent company selling laboratory chemicals to the world leader in life science supplies, ultra-purity life science for biopharma uh, and so forth. So by having that success, uh, and that company was a discontinued operation. We put in new management, new strategy, new geographic markets, new everything. When we later approached a company called Gilles that was like a little version of Avantor all over again, the founder scientist who was going to sell out to a corporation said, hey, look what you did at Avantor. 
do it with me. And he kept a piece of the business and looked to our value add to build it. Or more recently, last year, the head of biostatistics at Harvard and the head of biostatistics at MIT have the best advanced math company in to design drug trials, and they made the same decision to go with us because of Avantor and Gilleste and other companies. So, you know, you can, you can have a value-added position where you actually help the manager uh, achieve what they can't achieve on their own, and, and it's, very, uh, it's really a partnership to build the business. All right, so let's talk about the coronavirus crisis. How do you think that the crisis will really change investing in the future, and how do you think private equity as an industry will adapt and change going forward? Yeah, you know, it's it's the it's the wildest crisis that I face. And again, I've been through 87 and all these other crises, but there you knew that if you survived the crash, the world, you know, you knew there'd be a baseball game that summer, uh, even if, you know, if you had enough money to buy the ticket, you could buy the ticket. What's so weird about the coronavirus issue is, you know, will daily life come back and in what form it will come back? Uh we're, we're in a fortunate position overall at my firm that we do choose what we call defensive growth spaces. So we're not in fashion, retail, or other things that are being decimated. We're not in the, you know, we're not in the mall with women's clothes fighting Amazon because I grew up in that industry and said, I don't want to be in that industry. I want to be in something else. So, and a lot of what we do is healthcare related where we're on the forefront of fighting COVID and resetting supply chains. And so, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, it's still to see how the world will adjust with COVID. And, and, you know, but we're sticking to our basic policies, good defensive industries, hands-on business building. And, uh, you know, it's working well for us despite COVID. And I think we'll continue to work well. So we're not changing anything except uh, making our team stronger every year. Steve, what advice do you have for young professionals in finance who want to make sure that the work they're doing matters? When you were first starting in private equity, what advice do you wish someone had given to you? Yeah, I mean, I guess the advice would be the same that I would give or that I wish I would have gotten. I think, you know, you have to think of your life in bigger picture terms than than dollars alone. I mean, you know, uh, you know, you want to be able to look at, you know, run the real forward to say, look, as I retire or as they're giving a eulogy about me or something, what are they going to say? What did the person do with their life? Was it meaningful? Was it proper? I think private equity fits into that, where not only can you make high returns, but you really can make high returns in a great way by actually building businesses. And to me, it's one of the great fields because you're not just in one company the whole time, your entire career, you know, where you spent 70 years in the aluminum industry or something. You, you can learn whatever industry is interesting, evolving, changing. You're in multiple spaces. You're always on the most important issues. You're at the highest impact of any company's future that you're involved with. So I think it's a wonderful field. And if you think of it broadly as that you live in society, you live in a point in history, you know, it's a great way to be involved in the world around you. So, uh, you know, but I think you, sh- you need to think of it in that spirit, like you're a character in a history book versus you're someone, uh, you know, trying to get some money and buy a car. You know, it's not, it's a broader image of what your life's about. Steve, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on and I appreciate it. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. I love Steve's vision for private equity as a form of business and governance, not finance. 
The idea of using private equity to build better businesses is what I think captures the greatest potential of private equity to be a productive force in our economy. Join us next time when we continue the conversation and talk to Russell Steenberg, global head of BlackRock Private Equity Partners. Until next time, I'm your host, Shruti Rao, and this is Counting on Capital.